Hey guys, I'm really happy to partner with Well Woman Vegan from Vitabiotics as sponsors of By Back. For anyone like me leading or trying out a vegan or vegetarian lifestyle with a busy schedule, Well Woman is there to support you all along the way. It provides 24 nutrients, including higher levels of iron and vitamin B12. You can find them across the UK and Ireland nationwide. Hey there, I'm Roz Purcell, best-selling cookery author, ex-model, entrepreneur and host of Bite Back. How would you define your relationship with your body? Each week, I'll be interviewing incredible women who get frank about their relationship and ever-changing journeys towards self-love and acceptance. As the body positivity movement takes full flight, I want to be part of the conversation that puts pleasure back on your plate. Together, we'll discuss why numbers on a scale doesn't and shouldn't define us and how amazing our bodies really are. Today, I'm thrilled to have an activist, an all-around force in promoting a good relationship with your body and someone we can all learn from. Welcome, Honey Kinney. Hi. Woo. Um, so, Honey, you now have developed a really healthy relationship with your body. Um, if you follow Honey on social media, it's oozing, <laughs> it's contagious, scrolling <laughs> through Instagram. But this wasn't always the case. Take us back. What age were you when you first started to look at your body or look at your weight? Um, well, I've always been uh, tall. I've always been big. I was always a big girl growing up, which, you know, always poses its challenges. I think, you know, I think there are difficulties there, but I think my experience was enhanced with difficulty because I have parents who are in the media. So I would gain weight as a teenage girl and then <laughs> see on the mail online a photo of me on holiday where it was like, pig like people would comment horrible things about me underneath and it would be like honey Russ is on a diet I'm like yeah of course I'm on a fucking diet you're telling me to diet you're telling me I'm hideous so what age were you when this I was about 13, 13 when that started happening so seeing those comments was that kind of the catalyst I think it was the first time you know I think I'd grown up in the society we all grew up in which is you know it doesn't like unruly bodies it doesn't like bodies that go outside of the norm and so I'd always grown up going I'm other I am not societally attractive I you know I'm never going to be a small dress size like you know that's just not a reality for me but I tried and I tried and I tried uh, and then I think I got to the age of 13 and that started very publicly you know I started being publicly shamed and I think that was when I was like the first inkling was planted in my mind to be like hang on a second I shouldn't be listening to these people. I should be angry at these people. These people are wrong. We do kind of have this cancel culture in society. Mm. And I just want to make a reference to anyone who's here today or listening to podcasts. You know, next time you see an article online that's being negative about someone, bringing someone down, don't click into it. Don't swipe up. Don't feed that culture that the press thrive on. Because what we kind of do forget, because it's, you know we're sitting at home behind a laptop or a phone screen, our words have serious impact. Yeah. And I think it's just, you know, really important now just to mention that something to reflect on going forward, that we're using our words and using, how, I suppose, how we interact online a little bit yeah. more consciously. Our words have weight and there should mm. be accountability for that. And I think people are so uh, liberated behind the anonymity of social media that they forget there's someone on the other end of it. Mm. It doesn't matter how many followers you have. There always will be someone on the other end of that who's seeing it. When you uh, 
started seeing these comments online. Mm. Did you, like, did it start with diets? Did you go through many kind of diet I, culture? Yeah, oh, I did it all. I did Weight Watchers. I did a bit of Atkins. I did keto for three years, which was, I mean, I lost all the weight I could have ever dreamed of losing, but at what cost? You can't have bread or pasta. Like, that's, mm. that's no life. <laughs> that's no way to live. And that went on until I was about 17. And then I went into sixth form and I got cast as a lead in the school musical. I promise this as a point. Got last, uh, cast in the, uh, as a lead in the school musical and then got glandular fever and gained more weight than I'd ever gained before because all I could eat was rice. Um, very fun, very good for your body. And suddenly I realised, actually, I don't know what I was hoping to achieve by losing all of this weight. I think I looked around and realised, you know, I'd gained this weight from the rice... I felt like shit. I went on keto. I lost all the weight I could have lost. And then suddenly people started noticing me in a way they hadn't before. Men started sexualizing me for the first time in my whole life. People who I'd known the week before, you know, people I'd known my whole life who had never given me a second look suddenly were like, who is that? I'm like, it's me. I was here last year. I was fat last year. You didn't give a shit. Now I'm thin. You suddenly want to, you know, suddenly you're interested. Mm. And it made me angry, and it made me angry, and that anger hasn't gone away. And I think I just went, I don't want anyone to ever think that their worth is tied up in their looks. I just don't think it's worth it. All I wanted to be was thin and desirable, because that's what we've told women in our society, that that's what you should aspire to be. In society, we're, we're, I suppose we look at weight loss as a positive thing. Yeah. And we congratulate people. We, you look so good, you've yeah. lost all the weight. It was all I'd ever wanted. All mm. I ever wanted was to be accepted and to be wanted and thin and all of those things that we tell young people that that's what they should be aspiring to do. And I got it and I was fucking miserable. There are so many things that are more interesting about me than my weight. I happen to be in a place now where I love my weight. I think I'm personally very sexy, very cool, but it's not the most, it's not my main thing. So what was your turning point? What was the turning point? I want to know because what I'm trying to do with everyone is find out what was their snapping point that they decided yeah. they were going to go get help they were going to change their mindset and they weren't going to feed into this diet culture yeah. anymore and everyone's has been very different so what was the point from when you were 13 you started to diet that you said I'm not going to do this anymore it was a ra- so yeah the thing with the school musical so gained the weight was in the school musical fell in love with the boy who was playing the lead opposite me <laughs> and it was one of those moments where I hadn't realised how much of a superpower being plus size was because it gives you a nose for people who are horrible. You know, it gives you a nose for people who wouldn't talk to someone they don't think is fuckable, basically. And I fell in love with this boy who was playing the, my husband in the play and me and him became best friends and we were absolutely obsessed with each other. But because I was big, he wasn't brave enough to be with me. And I knew that. And knowing that made me go, then what the fuck have I been doing this for? <laughs> you know, what's the, what's the point here? If this person isn't brave enough to hold my hand in public, is it really worth it? And I just thought, you know, actually, there will be someone who is. And I never want to be with a person who couldn't respect someone who's above a size 16. I could never, I couldn't respect a partner who would only want me for the size of my body. So for you, it was an admirer that made you kind of realise that your worth was so much more... I just think I realised I don't want anyone to ever feel the way I felt. I was like, it's crazy that 
I went to school and I was in a group of five girls and three out of those five girls had life-threatening eating disorders. It's crazy that that's just normalised. That's just okay. It's not okay. And I'm like, I am not going to participate in a culture that nearly killed three of my best friends and tried to kill me. I'm not doing it. And so now everyone, you know, you've kind of come out this other side and you've yeah. become such a huge activist in the fight against diet culture, in the fight for other young girls and guys, whatever age it is, to start loving themselves. And, you know, you, you put up something that's lovely. The only way forward is to be kind to yourself. And I think when you first go into Instagram profile uh, in your bio, the best part about it is, I'm tired of your shit. Yeah. Um, so what made you completely just take to social media and put yourself out there? Because it's quite a vulnerable thing to do. I mean, I think um, as I've gotten more boundaried, as I've gotten older, I am less sherry on Instagram, but I do obviously share probably more than the average person. But when I first came to Instagram, I think, you know, I am, I, I'm still a young woman. I still, there were things that my thin friends were allowed to do that supposedly because of my body, I wasn't. And I was like, hang on a minute. I think I'm gorgeous. I think I look great in a bikini. Why, just because I'm not a size eight, am I not allowed to post that photo? And I was like, oh wait, hang on. No one is stopping me. Absolutely no one is stopping me from celebrating how I look, celebrating my body. I don't care if no one else finds me attractive. I find me attractive. So I'm just going to put it out there. If you like it, you like it. If you don't, fuck off. Like that's, you know, and I still feel like that. You're so positive and you're so confident in Mm. yourself. Did you ever go get help Oh, to do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I've been in therapy since I was 14. Like, if I wasn't okay. in this place with myself, my parents should get a refund. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> what kind of types of therapy did you do? For my anxiety, when I was a teenager, I did CBT, which mm-hmm. was a lot of a lot of chest tapping. That's very fun. Um, I actually did CBT in my disordered eating yeah. recovery. And I actually think... So anyone who doesn't know, CBT is cognitive behavioral therapy. And it kind of looks at how, you know, changing your behaviors. And, you know, that might be the, ha- the behavior of your inner monologue as well yeah. changing kind of different thoughts and that I think I hadn't realized how much my anxiety was affecting the way I felt about myself and how connected it was to my self-image mm. because it my anxiety first kind of very publicly manifested in uh, around exam time when I would you know get into the exam room and have a panic attack it's very common most people would do that but people didn't I I no adults had recognised that I'd been living with very severe anxiety, having intrusive thoughts, suffering with this and suffering on my own. And I think, I mean, that one, because there's not enough education around mental health in this mm. country, in most countries. But yeah, so I started CBT when I was a teenager. I then went on to do just generalised therapy, which is great, which I still do once a week. And now I'm also on two antidepressants and I am very chipper. I went to a very strange little private school in North London where every girl in my year was five foot one and looked like a beautiful pixie. And I was, you know, five eight, looked about the same as I do now, stuck out like a fucking sore thumb. So I immediately fell into this role of class clown. And so I kind of always played into the fact that it's like honey's in therapy. That was a kind of gag. I'd be like, you know, therapy, like, you know, I... I make a joke out of everything. Uh, so that was what I did. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was talked about. I don't think until recently did I start putting my foot down and going, actually, I'm not going to be the butt of my own jokes. Or actually, no. I mean, that was a large step in learning to like myself was not allowing myself to be the butt of my own jokes. And then, you know, obviously, you've valued so much your experiences in therapy. Through social media, you do share your, all your personal experiences. You share all 
you share stories that, you know, a lot of people hide um, yeah. and a lot of people don't feel comfortable sharing. And you do that so no one feels alone. Yeah, exactly. And what was, you know, I suppose, what, what are you t- trying to achieve with this? I think the minute you say something that scares you out loud, it doesn't have power over you anymore. Mm, that's um, very true. I think, you know, it's not some great secret that talking about how you feel makes you feel better we have this information, why don't we use it? Why are we so scared to tell people how we're feeling or tell people about the experiences we've had that have hurt us and changed us? And I think I just got to a point where I I went through a very big trauma a couple of years ago. I I wrote a post about it the other day. Of course I did. It was a fantastic post. You guys should go check out. But the thing that made me most shocked is I went through a sexual trauma and rather than people going, oh my God, I'm so shocked this happened to you. Every woman in my life turned around and went, yep, me too. Literally, hashtag me too. It had happened to almost all of my friends. It's wild to me that it's not an open dialogue. It's wild to me that even after the Me Too movement, we haven't had these conversations. People are still scared to talk about what's happened to them because they feel guilt and they feel shame around it. And if I can make any woman, any person feel not ashamed of what happened to them and tell them it wasn't their fault you know it's no skin off my back obviously I'd do that because if I'd had someone there who had done that for me maybe it wouldn't have been such a hard healing process so starting conversations and you know I think posting about your own personal experience for anyone out there who's who uses social I think we all use social media don't we we're all we're all due to our phones what would be your advice on curating a positive social media feed because I think people forget that they're actually in control of their social media. And I think a lot of us at times we can go on social media, come off feeling kind of shit and crap about ourselves. And we forget that we can choose who we follow. Yes. We can choose what comes up on our feed. Okay, fair enough on the Explorer page. You can get lost. I'm usually like lost on someone's dog's page. I've never even met. But (laughs) um, what what would be your advice to people out there? Honestly, unfollow all the people who make you feel like shit. Honestly, if there's a single photo where you go, doesn't spark joy unfollow cull you don't need to follow models you don't need to follow victoria's secret you don't need to follow any of these brands that only show one type of person it's a fucking waste of your time anyway follow a slime account follow an asmr account follow something that's going to make you calm Mm. like you said you're in control of your social media you're not just a passenger in it it's your space i do a lot of work with um, Scarlett Curtis who's an amazing activist and me and her always talk about it like I think of my Instagram as if you could curate your perfect magazine who would be in it and then you follow those accounts (laughs) and then obviously your friends but you can mute the ones you don't like that's the thing mute the friends whose content you hate like that is top tip and then just to keep up appearances check in like once a month like a photo so they don't get suspicious that's my advice (laughs) (laughs) we all have people we've muted yeah yeah and I think that's really important and you know I myself I go through periods where I start gathering more people on my Instagram just because I've met them and things like that you know it's only after a while you might go that content isn't giving me anything no and I do think it's really important that everyone who I follow there's a few things I always kind of check is there are their posts making me feel good yeah are they content content are they informative content are they kind of storytelling or are they are they kind of taking me out of my eco chamber? You know, are they talking about issues that, you know, I necessarily don't talk with my friends? Mm. So are they giving you something that, you know, you're not getting already? And for me, that was a huge thing. I found from years uh, in the industry of modeling, I'd go on my social media and I'd kind of be seeing that kind of 
comparison again and again and what other people were doing with their lives and why I hadn't gone that way or and it's very very difficult when we have our phones the whole time in our hands and we're constantly on it at every chance that we can get Mm. it's this device that shows us what we could have and what we what we don't have and it's really really important to make sure that you live this life once you know and we're going to get to the age where we're 80 or 90 and you'll it's only then, unfortunately, a lot of people go, it was, this wasn't a dress rehearsal. This was our only shot. Yeah. And we wasted so much of that looking at people's past and looking at people who probably don't even look like the people in the photos. You know what I mean? So I think it, that is a huge, huge, yeah. huge thing for us is to curate our own social media feeds. So with the whole, there's obviously, a, you know, there's been a, I think the movement has gotten larger and larger and has been growing and growing over the past you know, year and a half, but there's still a long way to go. Do you mean body positivity? Body positivity, yeah. body confidence, and, you know, I think the whole thing about just accepting yourself. Yeah. What, I suppose, where do you see yourself in that space, and what do you think needs to be done? Well, see, I jumped on the body positive bandwagon in, like, 2016, 2015, when I found it on Tumblr, and that was, I mean, I think I should give that credit. That was a real turning point for me, where I saw fat women just joyfully having a lovely time, which I'd never seen before, you know, I've seen so many fat women portrayed as evil or comedic. God knows. It's just like, there's no positive representation for fat women. And then I found this space on Tumblr and it was like walking into an oasis. It was like, oh my God, she's got a lovely outfit on and she's smiling and she's got a husband and she's got a dog and she's fine. You know, seeing that was such a huge turning point for me. But now I do find it difficult being part of the community because I think it has been commandeered. And I think... Self-love belongs to everyone, but body positivity actually is a movement founded Mm -hmm. by women of colour and fat women, Mm -hmm. people who live in marginalised bodies. I think it's important that we remember that. I do find it difficult when I see people have commandeered it and commodified it. Mm. And commercialised it. And commercialised it. I think, you know, the amount of brands who have been like, we'd love to work with you, and then I'll go on their website, and they actually don't go above a size Mm. 16. I'm like, unless you go to a size 30, like, don't waste my time. Because I'm like, you know, I'm not working just for myself as much as I like clothes. I'd also like everyone to be able to like clothes. Most of the images, images that we do see online, they're a certain moment of a certain day of someone's life that we do not know, and we don't know what editing tools have, has gone into it. Yes. Because that is the huge thing with social media, and I suppose this whole idea that every image that goes online has to be perfect. And it's quite hard because, you know, I don't want to judge anyone who does alter their images because it comes from, a, obviously, a place yeah. of insecurity. Completely. But... I do think it needs to be disclosed. Just seeing a body in motion, seeing what a body looks like from all angles and just, we don't ever see anything real. Even on our pages, it's not real. Mm. We have gone through multiple photos, selected one, uploaded it, captioned it. It's not an organic thing. And even earlier you said you share all of these experiences. I don't share every experience. Mm. Everyone's Instagram is not actually them. It's them trying best to convey their personality through a handful of images. It's not real. As much as you can get to know someone on Instagram, you never really know someone on Instagram. You just know the self-image they're trying to present. Well, also, I think I'm, I'm bored of seeing people's holidays. Yeah. Show me your vulnerabilities. I don't care if you've got a perfect tan. I want to hear about your trauma. <laughs> like, I want to hear about your life. Tell me the things that scare you. When someone shows that on social media, I'm like, wow, that takes real fucking courage. That's amazing. Because you're showing something that's deeper than surface. And I think we, 
everyone is sick of surface. We are tired of surface. All we have seen is the same thing for hundreds of years. Not even, you know what, actually what's so funny about it is it's probably actually only in the last 60 years that this diet culture has really been spiralling and actually before then things were different. And I just think we're bored of seeing the same thing over and over again. I don't want to see someone's outsides. I want to hear about your insides. I want mm. to, you know, I'm bored of it. You almost need to empty the basket and start refilling it with new thoughts Completely. and new ideals. And it's a very hard thing to do. So what advice would you have to anyone out there who's listening, who feels like they're stuck? Because I think a lot of people who are stuck in diet culture, eating disorders, or self-hatred, that inner monologue, you do feel like you're never going to be able to change. What would you say to them? I think even if you're having the thought that you're questioning diet culture, you need to give yourself a pat on the back because that's the first step of escaping. I think we're all trapped in the same room and it's only about working together and getting out together. I think a good first step is trying to retrain your brain, which obviously sounds very overwhelming. <laughs> it's like, you know, there are easier things to do. But, you know, read books written by diverse authors look at images of bodies that you wouldn't look at otherwise really broaden your horizons expand your mind you can change what you consider attractive you have that capability you deserve to see the full spectrum of bodies and not just the spectrum that we are being shown and once you see that you'll learn that your body is worthy and you are worthy Mm. and you know I suppose from my, myself, I can't express enough how important I think it is to go and get professional help. Completely. And I think going, talking to experts, whether that's, you know, CBT or, um, you know, even dietitians and things like that, understanding the importance of having a balanced attitude to food. One, a fundamental thing for me in recovery was actually going, speaking to a nutritionist and dietitian. I, I've, I've gone to a few different people um, and understanding the importance of how to fuel your body. Like, I want to have the... My mum used to always say to me, my mum's from the country. Anyone who doesn't know me, I'm from Ireland, if you didn't guess by the accent. <laughs> South of Ireland, so it's a bit deeper. My mum used to always say to me, because I used to play a lot of sport growing up, you can't put diesel in a petrol car. Mm. And it was only when I was kind of recovering, I understood the importance of fueling your body right. Like when I'm 80 or 90, I don't give a shit what weight I am. I want to be able to walk on the beach. I want to be able to, if I fall down, pick myself up. I want to be strong. And I want to be able to have a body that was treated well. And I think whatever we do, if we go into the gym and we train, we're doing it out of love for our body and not out of hate, not out yeah. of a place where we want to, I have to punish myself because I ate something. Like a, it's a conversion for eating. You want to do it because you're like, I want to be strong. I want to be fit. I want to feel good. And I think it's changing that whole mindset of doing things out of love. And yeah, maybe that's eating well. Maybe that's having a routine of meal prep. But you're doing it out of a good place and not a place because you don't like yourself or you feel like you need to do that to be to be a better version yeah I think it's about taking the time to invest in yourself and give yourself the love and attention that you've been neglecting you would give advice to your friend yes exactly. like would you advise your friend to go on some crazy diet no you wouldn't but you do it yourself would you advise your friend to train twice a day no you wouldn't well also the things you say to yourself versus would you ever say that to your best friend you know would you ever mm. look in the mirror and say to your best friend you look disgusting in that top. No, you fucking wouldn't because you wouldn't have any friends. Why are you treating the most important relationship you'll ever have in your life like shit? Like, why are you treating yourself like shit? You deserve 
love and kindness and affection. And if it's coming from you first, it's coming from you first. And that's the most important thing. Because the thing is, you can't get anywhere without those foundations. If you don't set those foundations up with yourself, then what's the point? Because ultimately, it's just going to be you at the end of your life. And no one's ever gotten to the end of their life and gone, I wish I hated myself more. Hmm. You probably are going to get to the end of your life and be like, I wish I ate more cake. <laughs> 100%. So there's a lot of work to be done in the fashion industry. Yes. Um, I think that, you know, a lot of brands, as you said, are commercializing off it. They're kind of jumping on the bandwagon. But they're still not enough. Well, I mean, they won't loan out to plus-size women because they claim to only have sample sizes. That's just factually incorrect. I think, you know, the fashion industry is a very exclusive, uninclusive space. And I think we need to do everything to disrupt that. You know, someone told me off the other day for buying something for Pretty Little Thing. I don't do a lot of shopping, but I did buy a dress from Pretty Little Thing. Obviously, I'm anti-fast fashion. But the fact is, where would you have me shop? Most brands don't go past a size 16. I'm a size 18. I'm on the smallest scale of a fat woman. Where would you have me shop? Where would you have a size 24 shop? Where would you have a size 30 shop? If brands aren't willing to accommodate fat people, how else are we supposed mm -hmm. to, where else are we supposed to go? If fast fashion brands are the only places catering to fat bodies, how dare people shame fat people for shopping at fast fashion brands? Because the thing is, it's a two-pronged issue. Yeah, the fashion industry gets me pretty riled. <laughs> yeah, and you have a podcast yourself. Yes, I do. What, is your, is your, what would be your ultimate goal, I think, of you know, leading with your social media and your podcast? I think ultimately my ultimate goal is just to be happy and to be content in myself. I used to be so ambitious. And honestly, I have nearly died so many times and I never thought I would get to this age and I never thought I would live this far and be so happy and I'm just so lucky to be here. And with my social media, I could come off it in a month and I wouldn't miss it and I wouldn't care. And I want everyone to be able to get to a point in their life. I think we all could. Sometimes I, I do think myself, I wish I could just leave it behind. Yeah. And, you know, there's times where, you know, obviously I have, a, I've, you know, myself curated a really positive social media feed. But it's the fact that I feel like I'm wasting time. I come off and I'm like, I've, I've just spent 45 minutes looking at someone I've never met before. Yeah. And I suppose it's like yourself. I'd rather be in the room saying something good than out of the room. Yeah. And I'd rather be a, a page that I probably needed in my early 20s. Exactly. And that's what I feel like your page is. It's a page that I feel like if I had seen your page in my early 20s, I would have felt, I would have felt good. The amount of times I've nearly deleted my account and then someone will send me a message going, just so you know, I bought my first bikini um, in 10 years and I'm wearing it on my holiday and I'm so happy. Thank you. That's the only reason I keep my account. Honestly, Instagram doesn't fulfill me. It never will. I will never be an influencer. That is never something I've wanted to be. I have nothing but respect for influencers, but I personally couldn't do it. You know, I, I did walk in a London Fashion Week show and that was only because I knew that if I didn't, there would be no other fat bodies there. And I was like, you know what? If it has to be me, it has to be me. An article was published about me in The Sun yesterday and I gained so many followers and it scared me so much. But I thought, you know what? People who read The Sun wouldn't have seen this message otherwise. And if I'm helping someone who wouldn't have otherwise known that there was an alternative to hating themselves, then you know what? I don't care if I get abuse online. I don't care. I'm fine. I would rather someone else be fine. Hmm. Do you feel a sense of responsibility, you know, I think anyone out there who has a platform, and I get asked this question a lot, you know, do I feel a sense of responsibility about what I'm sharing? And it's kind of, 
both ways. Sometimes I'm like, no, because I'm just sharing my life and I'm just sharing, you know, what I think, what should be more shared on social media. But at the same time, you know, you do have an influence. I think I do have an influence, but my, my goal has always been to share the highs and the lows. And there have been a lot of both. And I think it's important, you know, last year when I was essentially bed bound for three months because I was so depressed I lord knows I was on my Instagram stories going like hi day three haven't showered it's important people need to know that that's okay it's okay to be depressed it's okay to be miserable sometimes and then it was even nicer when I could come out of my depression and go just want to say updating everyone I'm really happy right now and my friends are amazing my family's amazing and I'm really lucky and to have people message me going just the fact that you've said this makes me know that I can come out of my depression Mm. and I'm going to be okay that's the point don't show the highlight reel show everything yeah and I think that's a really important point to make and when I started my podcast by back last year it was three years after going getting help and it was only after three years I knew I was at the other side yeah. and I was able to share the journey from the other side. And I only, I waited that long because I wanted to, to prove to people anyone can do it. I felt yeah. so stuck. And I always thought, I always thought when I was with my family, like my sisters or my friends, and we, they would just have a meal. And I would think, so lucky they can just eat something and not think about it mm. and not feel guilty about it and just be normal. And it always made me sad that I was like, I'll never be like that. This is just who I am. And it just, I wanted to prove that going, getting professional help really does work. And it is a combination of things. I think, you know, we talked about your turning point earlier. My turning point was actually very different. And it's something you wish you could bottle up for people and give out because when I meet someone who's really struggling with their self-image, I'm like, you're wasting so much time hating yourself. Like, you've so much potential and you've so much to offer everyone and so much more to offer than than aesthetics. Well, I just think the amount of time I save not thinking about my body. The amount I've gotten done. If I could like, you know how you can like clock the hours you played solitaire and stuff like that? Like, I wish I could clock the hours that I used to spend thinking about people looking at my stomach or thinking about my stomach or thinking about my thighs or thinking about my fucking cellulite. Who cares? Now, I write and I journal and I meditate and I you know those makes me sound like such a prick I know that but like you know instead of thinking about my ass I read a book like you know what I mean I've saved so much time not hating myself Mm. you get so much more done your productivity will go through the roof I guarantee like honestly you only have things to gain by doing this work and it's hard work and it's not fun and it challenges your very core but it's worth doing and if it's through professional means, that's incredible. If it's on a personal level, that's also incredible. Just find a way to get out of the prison you've been locked in and haven't realised. I'm going to leave it there because we're running out of time. But yeah. Honey, thank you so much for joining me. You can follow Honey on at Honeykinney on Instagram, which I recommend everyone does because it's one of those pages, like I said, you come away feeling really good and you come away seeing someone who's sharing their real life and also your podcast, where can we get, get that? You can listen to my podcast, The Body Protest, uh, which I co-host with the incredible body image researcher, Nadia Craddock, who is an absolute genius and mm. goddess, went to Harvard, smartest woman in the world. You can find that on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and season two is starting really, really soon. So you've got a whole season to catch up on. There you go. Loads of listening for you guys. Thanks so much. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for tuning into Bite Back. If you've enjoyed this episode, we'd love to hear from you. 
Let us know by rating, sharing and subscribing to Bite Back. <laughs>